Are your dreams bigger than you've actually accomplished? Do you have habits and beliefs that are holding you back from your limitless potential? My goal this year, via my guests and special insights I'll be sharing with you, is to help you dissolve any beliefs or restraints that may keep you from being all that you can be. No matter what challenges or barriers seem to be in your way, I'm going to help you discover ways around that to achieve far more than what you thought was possible. Over the last 30 years, as an executive coach and management consultant, I have researched and developed strategies and methods that have helped countless women and men just like you achieve far more than they thought was possible, both professionally and in their personal lives. I will be sharing these secrets and proven methods with you in this podcast on my Women's Leadership Success Podcast blog and in special posts on LinkedIn. Also, I have a gift for you in the middle of the show and my new Action for Traction segment at the end of the show to help you make the most of what you've learned in this interview. This is Women's Leadership Success, podcast number 111. Do you know why your reputation is important, especially in your career? Well, it can have a profound impact on your getting promoted, getting new business, how much you earn, and even your impact and influence for your family and even your community. Here are some questions you need to ask yourself. Have you ever done something that negatively impacted your reputation? Do you know what your reputation is at work? Do you know how to repair your reputation? Or even better yet, do you know how to control and build your reputation? If you are a woman looking for reputation management tips to help your career, branding, and income, you need to listen to this interview with one of the leading experts in reputation management for women. Welcome to Women's Leadership Podcast, showing you how to influence people, improve your performance, and advance your career. Brought to you by women's leadership and career expert Sabrina Brom and womensleadershipsuccess.com. Here's your chance to meet women trendsetters leading the way to success, accomplishment, and balance in business and life. No matter if you're a manager, CEO, or entrepreneur, join Sabrina for coaching and no-nonsense advice to improve your career and bottom line. This is Women's Leadership Success, and today I have the great pleasure of interviewing Lita Citron, who is the author of Control the Narrative, the Executive's Guide to Building, Pivoting, and Repairing Your Reputation. Lita has an incredible background. She um, is an uh, executive branding and reputation management specialist based in Inglewood, Colorado. She's a TEDx. She talks on Google and is a keynote speaker and instructor on LinkedIn learning and many other things that will come up during the interview. Welcome, Lita. Thank you, Sabrina. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you. I'm excited about it too. And um, I'm really excited about it because this issue of not only branding, but repairing your reputation has come up for several of my clients lately. So I'm really excited to find out more about this and help the women that are listening to this show know how to navigate this world. Mm-hmm. So to begin with, 
Um, can you tell us why reputation management is needed? Well, it, it's something that we do to protect our name, right? So your reputation is how you're known, how people perceive you. And if you're not consciously driving and being strategic about your reputation, you're really leaving your good name to the whim of you know, popular opinion or popular consensus. It's a lot of power to give away. So when we talk about reputation management, it's really putting those systems in place to measure and monitor how effective your name is at driving opportunities to you. So if your reputation is deviating from what you want, you wanna be able to catch that before it becomes a crisis. If your reputation and the word of mouth and the good feelings that you create with people, if that's driving opportunity, well, you wanna know what's working so you can do more of it. That's, in essence, what reputation management is. Um, and I want to ask you a little more about that. Mm-hmm. But you you said something in the book that I really like. You said there's an end result that you should be striving for. Can you say what that is? Well, for each client or audience that I take through the personal branding process, one of the really um, critical points is to define legacy. So this is all about being strategic, right? And if you're going to be strategic, you have to know where you're starting and what the goal is. And the goal is how do you want people to remember you when you leave the room or you leave this planet? So when you think about the end, which is, there's all sorts of different words for it. I call it desired reputation or desired brand. Some people might call it legacy or ideal end state. What do you want people to believe about you and to expect they would feel if they encountered you. So in the exercises that we do, it's really about thinking about all the way to the end and then looking at where we are and putting a strategy in place from here to there to make sure that we build that. Because ultimately, when we get to the end of our life or the end of our career, we don't have the same tools and opportunities that we do today, wherever someone is in their career. So we want to be thinking about the end so that we can work in that direction. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm wondering how we, how do we know how people are perceiving us? In, in your book, you mentioned a woman going into a bathroom stall and overhearing people that worked with her saying some pretty nasty things about her. Well, that's not, that's not how I want to find out. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, Isn't I would, I would probably end up. Find out sooner what people are thinking so that I can influence that. How do I, how do I, if I'm working in a company, how can I know how I'm being perceived? Well, if you're working in a company, oftentimes there are some tools in place, right? There, there are performance evaluations and reviews and maybe even 360s. And while those are measuring a lot of things, we can extract from those some of the issues around perception. And and the work I do is all perception, right? It's all in the space of how do people feel about you? And is that feeling driving opportunity? Mm -hmm. So if you have access to those tools, you know, looking at the patterns around how people are perceiving you, what is the feedback? But for those of us who don't work in a corporate environment or perhaps aren't getting that kind of result from those tools, there are simple things we can do. You can ask people who you trust, who will give you an honest answer, how they would describe you, right? What are some words they might choose to describe you by? And then listen to what they have to say. 
Look for patterns. Are people describing you as aggressive and pushy and driven, but you think you're coming across as passionate and excited? Well, their perception of what you think you're communicating is very different. And their perception could be considered negative. And if it's negative, that might be why they're limiting opportunities for you. So understanding what their perception is could be as simple as asking that question. You could ask questions like, for what kind of an opportunity would you be comfortable referring me? Not that you're job hunting, but maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it's additional resources. Maybe it's leading a team. Mm -hmm. What are the things people think about putting you forward for? And then does that line up with what you want? So asking questions like that often gives us a lens into how other people see us. And the challenge with doing that uh-huh. is oftentimes somebody's perception is different than what we think. And our first response is to want to defend or make excuses or show them why they're wrong, right? I'm not pushy. I'm driven. <laughs> you know, I'm assertive. But that really isn't the point because they've given you an opportunity to look at what you're headed towards and see if you need to make correction. So it's really a gift if you can see it that way mm-hmm. of insight. Yeah, so you have to you have to go out of taking it personally and almost go more objective to just wanting to understand how they're perceiving that. Why did why do they think I'm pushy as opposed to just assertive? Right. And what does that? So once you f- find that out, and it seems like the process is being open and really listening to the feedback you're getting and understanding for them what makes the difference between pushy and objective how do you begin to change that perception what are i know your book has incredible lots of great ideas mm-hmm. but just some beginning ones sure i think the first question before deciding how to change it is making sure you should change it right so if oh, i got point. yeah if i got feedback after speaking in front of an audience that i was too large of a personality if if i got that feedback i'm kind of okay with that <laughs> because that works for me that i don't see as a negative now yeah. if i got feedback that i wasn't very i wasn't connected to my audience or yeah. um something that i would take very seriously that would be something i would act on Uh So feedback, just because you get it, doesn't mean you have to act on it. Um, But it's always important to recognize that if you're getting feedback that, and and I also want to say, it's not always negative, right? You could get feedback that people see you as a leader, but you've never thought of yourself that way. So maybe that's something you're, you're excited about and you're intrigued by. So you want to lean in a little bit to that. But if you're going to make a change, then that change has to be very carefully thought through. And I always say you're never changing who you are because who we are is perfect and it's exactly how it was designed to be. But sometimes it's our communication or it's our behavior Mm -hmm. and sometimes even our relationships that are sending the wrong impression about who we are and what we stand for. So when I talk about controlling the narrative, it's about understanding the optics and the language that we're using. Those are tweaks. We can modify our behavior. I can. If I have a client that says, last time you spoke to us, you know, you were a little bit big on stage and you kind of overwhelmed the audience. If I know that 
I'm not going to be successful unless I modify that behavior. I might come out on stage a little bit softer and a little bit more slowly to make sure that the audience doesn't feel overwhelmed. But I'm always going to be myself because that's who I am. Uh, Do you find that women have more difficulty doing this than men or is it across the board the same? You know, it's interesting. I was asked that question about 10 years ago and I had a very different answer because at the time, all of my clients were men. They were all men. And, And the thing that they all kept coming to me to find out was how do women do this so well? (laughs) And and we couldn't figure it out, right? They Uh felt it was all the touchy-feely stuff, right? So Uh I I don't know that it's a male issue or it's a female issue. I think we both sets of genders probably have their own quirks. For men, I think it's it's really sort of touching into that emotional side Uh of themselves. Brands are about emotions. That's what a brand is. It's an emotion. It's not a logo or a swoosh. It's an emotion. So for a lot of my male clients, they're looking to get more anchored there. But for my female, my my women clients, a lot of it is how do I navigate being who I think I'm supposed to be in order to be a CEO or an entrepreneur or a thought leader Mm -hmm. with who I really feel like I am, which might be soft and compassionate and nurturing. How do I blend those two? There's so much pressure on us, I think, to to be larger than life and show confidence and competence. And and sometimes we don't feel that way. So the challenges, I think, are a little bit different, but they're both there. They're there for men and they're there for women. Uh, Thank you. That's that's very interesting. You talk about a strategic network. Mm -hmm. Can you um, can you share that and how that's different than just networking? I think I think networking has gotten a bad rap, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people think networking is having ten thousand connections on LinkedIn, and you know when we used to have Rolodexes, it was you know how many names were in your Rolodex, right? Or how I many think- cards can you hand out at a meeting, right? Exactly, exactly. And I think what we've shifted to is quality over quantity. So strategic, intentional networking says, I know the people in my network. I know who I can call to help me with a transaction. I know the people I can call to give me information or insight about a trend or an issue. And I know the people I can strategically call who are going to give me that support, who are going to be my cheerleaders. So when you think of your network strategically, it's not all through the same lens. It's not who can I do business with, right? Who can hire me? But how can these people serve me? And how am I going to be able to reciprocate? Because networking is both directional. And I think in the old days, we were just about accumulating, right? Accumulating names and and phone numbers and, like you said, business cards. But now it's really about the quality. Who are the people that will vouch for you? Um, How are you nurturing those relationships? This takes a lot of time. And if you're trying to catch everybody with the same net, that's probably not very effective. But if you're strategic and you're thoughtful about who are the people who have opportunities that, that I want, right? They can connect me to things that I want and where I see a way that I can serve them, 
That's a win-win relationship. And then you nurture it. And it does mean a lot of touch. It means a lot of communication. Mm-hmm. Um, during the pandemic, I think what was what was wonderful about it is we all reconnected. And whether it's because extroverts like myself were going crazy without human contact, mm-hmm. or we just had more time to, to connect with people and really ask them how they're doing and what's going on in their business and, and how can I help? That's networking and that's strategic networking. Just collecting names isn't networking. That's yeah. And you're right. I think we're, we're understanding that better. I think that's one of the good things about the pandemic. (laughs) Reputation repair. Yeah. Um, There's so many aspects to this, but can you, can you talk about the different kinds of, damage that can happen and how you might begin to repair it? You know, it's certainly a big industry um, and it's becoming even bigger. Uh, Again, I think the pandemic really drove a lot of this home. So the timing of the book was absolutely fantastic. You know, in the old days, if we had something negative to say about somebody, we would share it with a neighbor over a backyard fence, right? Mm -hmm. Now behind a keyboard, we can let millions of people know. Yeah. So there's that side of it. And then there's the side where people are being careless. You know, they're posting something online that when they think about it later, they realize was insensitive or inappropriate um, and they can't pull it back. There's also people who are making poor decisions. And, you know, I, I believe none of us are not capable of making mistakes. We're all capable. Um, but some of those mistakes are more costly. That's one side of reputation repair, what gets people into a challenge. The other and probably more upsetting is that there are people that are caught in the wrong place at the wrong time and they didn't do anything wrong. But whether it's typecasting or gaslighting or workplace mobbing, they find themselves in the crosshairs of a really negative situation. And what I have found very typical is they do nothing, whether they've been told they will be protected or whether they don't know what to do, but they do nothing. And so the narrative starts playing out and they end up looking complicit. And then they have to unwind all of that. So reputation repair just means something that you've either done or been a part of, been attached to, has all of a sudden been cast with a negative light and your name and our ability to trust you is now questioned. Are you ready to break through your limitations in your career, leadership, and life? Would you like to move to a more powerful level? Then there are three things you can do right now. One, call or email me for coaching or management consulting today. Two, for a free career and leadership assessment with me, go to careerdevelopmentquiz.com. Three, tap into the insights you are getting from this show And help me spread the word to other women just like you by giving me a review in one of these podcast players, which are Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Podchaser, Podcast Addict, or by sharing this show with your friends in social media. And as an extra thank you gift for you, I'm doing a monthly drawing for a free book from one of my guests that will help you advance your success. You have three easy chances to win. 
Just post a short comment and link to this show in Women's Leadership Success Facebook page or the post about this show in LinkedIn or give me a podcast review. Thank you. Just a, a couple of examples on each one, but sure. I'm thinking of, I've had more than one of this happen where there's a leader who, the person a person leaves the company and then begins to um, put stuff up on social media, contact people in the company, actively recruit, actively go in and say things, um, negative things. Mm-hmm. Um, how does one begin to do anything about that? What does What's a good, how do you start? What I hear you saying and what I read in the book is you need a strategy. You absolutely need a strategy because oftentimes what people react to is not the right thing to respond with, right? So somebody says something negative about us online or they make an accusation or they share misinformation. Our first reaction is usually you're wrong. You're wrong. Here's what's right. And, And I start throwing information. Well, now the person who posted that has a viable opponent, right? Right. And we don't know who the other person is, especially when it's online. We don't know who the other person is. Well, now it's kind of like a game of tennis, right? Now the ball's going back and forth. And as long as we keep hitting it back, they're going to keep hitting it back. Mm -hmm. And that's sometimes where we end up making matters much worse. And that's hard to say to somebody because if something is being shared online that's not true, Mm-hmm. And I have to ask somebody to withhold defending themselves. That's a horrible position. Yeah. But but a strategy will help you think all of this through. Another important point to, to think about if this is happening is separating emotion from fact. So somebody says something negative about your business, and this is a business that you've built and you love and you feel emotionally invested in. So you attack or you react. Well, now you've got an argument. And honestly, what you're reacting to is something that felt emotional, right? And maybe they were legitimate. Maybe it was a customer who had a bad experience in your restaurant Mm -hmm. and you're attacking them for posting something when honestly, they had a legitimate complaint. So emotions can get um, get very tangled up here. My first response is always take a breath, get some good allies in your corner, and help have them help you look at what's really happening. Is this an isolated incident? How public is this? Is this something that can be taken offline? And I mean, even in person, right? If somebody said something in front of a group of people and you're called out for something, is there some way to bring it offline and handle it discreetly? You know, these are the kinds of questions you want to think about. If a response is warranted, what should that response be? How public should that response be? If you've made a mistake and you need to apologize, do you respond, you know, make that apology publicly or is that? So all of these are questions and there isn't one size fits all because every client that I've worked with, you know, their families are involved, their companies are involved, their shareholders, the media is involved. And there's all of these players that we have to coordinate very, very carefully it's not an easy process, um, which is why I really advocate for doing everything you can not to find yourself there. 
it's the carelessness that often gets us in the most trouble. Mm -hmm. You know, um, a, a cartoon you think is funny and you share it on social media or you put it up before, you know, you're giving a board report and people find it offensive or it violates company policy. And, you know, you thought it was funny. Right. It, it, it can end up being really um, a bad situation. And we live in a world now where we have to assume people are videotaping, people are documenting and archiving what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So the last point I will make on that is make sure there's enough good content and credibility about who you are that would offset if something negative, if a rumor started spreading, if there's enough good content and good evidence to the contrary, oftentimes what the negative seed that somebody has tried to plant doesn't take root because there's so much good out there. What you stand for, what you believe in, what you're passionate about, if there's a lot of that context, if the people that you've worked with and served with and interacted with know you to be a certain way, and then somebody tries to get an idea going that you're different, there's a little bit of context to a lot of context. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I have two different questions. I want to go back to when you actually caused the problem, but let's say it's somebody online that's doing something to you. How do you find a good company to help you with repairing your reputation? Um, I had a client that needed some help. And when I, when I looked online, there were so many choices and I didn't know how to tell if the companies were reputable. Yeah. And and unfortunately that is a space that, um, that has a lot of different players, right? Mm -hmm. Um, There are a lot of companies that will promote that they can manipulate Google that's the biggest lead, right? The first thing a, qu- a person asks me when they've got a reputation problem online is how do I get this off of Google? Um, mm-hmm. Or how do we push it down? And so what a lot of these other companies do is they promote um, using and manipulating SEO and meta tags and all of these algorithms to hide the bad information and put the good information up top. I work with companies like Google, and I know that the algorithms are not that easy to manipulate, nor do they want them to be manipulated. So it isn't that simple of a fix. But that's why I say, if we can all right now before, and hopefully there's never a problem, but before we'd ever get there, if we can make sure that we're managing our online profiles, we're being mindful about what we're posting, we've got relationships where people are endorsing us and referring Mm -hmm. us and saying, yes, Sabrina, thumbs up. Mm -hmm. Then the second somebody tries something negative, it, it kind of falls on deaf ears because all this other is so good. To to your question, I mean, I think there's definitely a strategy that could involve search engine optimization, which is SEO. But the tools that are typically used of setting up a website, putting tons of links and backlinks and mentions, I think most consumers can kind of see through that. And it doesn't necessarily affect the algorithms the way people are hoping it would. I had one client that his reputation online was terrible. He had made some really bad choices and he paid a dear price. His family, I mean, fell apart. His career fell apart. And he knew that online he had to repair it, 
because he wanted to work again. But the first thing he said is that he says, I'm going to repair it with the people I hurt. And he spent months having one-on-one, this is before COVID, one-on-one meeting with people who were influencers, not people who were directly impacted, but people who knew the story of what had happened, were upset about it. And he sat down with each person. It took forever. I mean, he said he he got so hooked on coffee because he had so many coffee meetings. But he did that approach. And what he didn't realize, and we hadn't really planned for, is people started writing him endorsements and they started vouching for him. And that started showing up online. So while that wasn't part of our strategy, it actually kind of worked that way. And when we got to the point of looking at social media, there was now a blend. There were news reportings of what had happened and positive endorsements and a couple of blogs who pointed to his, you know, his indiscretions. Okay, it shows a picture that's a little bit more complete than if it was just a negative story. Right. Uh, and when you're saying that, I'm thinking just the act of, of having to um, make amends yeah. with a lot of people probably ends up changing your own view of yourself and how you are going to move forward in the future. Um, the, the Your own fault, I've had... A couple of clients, male and female, who got drunk at a conference. Mm. And um, that reputation was hard to change. Mm -hmm. Um, What these people did was they stopped drinking and they made a point of doing what you're saying, of going to individual people saying, I'm really ashamed of my behavior and this is what I've done. Is that what you would suggest or is there other things? Um, Well, again, I think it all depends on the situation because it isn't a one size fits all. As you know, in the book, it doesn't say here are the five steps, do these no matter what happened. Okay. Um, Because sometimes other people are hurt and just making an apology or, you know, letting the other person talk about their feelings doesn't make things better. It, it might move things forward, but it it doesn't necessarily resolve it. And you have to be okay with that. Um, you might have triggered something in somebody else that your apology is never going to repair. Right. Um, but only personal accountability does go a long way. It has to be done right and it has to be done authentically. And sometimes it has to be done many times. You know, there's a difference between, I think, what we see in Hollywood and what we see in real life. Um, it isn't just about, you know, issuing a public statement and everybody just falls back into line. Sometimes we have a lot of work to do. Um, but a one-time incident where you act inappropriately is one situation, repeated behavior with no remorse and no accountability, that's another situation that has to be repaired. And they both require very different strategies. But the bottom line is we're all capable of making mistakes. And I think, you know, to live in a world where nobody's going to make a mistake is a little bit unrealistic. It's what we do when that mistake happens and how we make it right that sometimes Mm -hmm. is, is the big differentiator. Right. We're not only capable of it, we all have made mistakes. <laughs> exactly. Just sometimes, you know, we did them before there were Facebook. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So I mentioned to you before the show that I have a lot of women that are um, in the military, especially overseas, that are listening to this program. And I'm wondering if you have, I know you've done a lot of work with the military. Do you have any suggestions specifically for women in the military 
to help them build their brands and move their careers forward? Well, first, for anyone who is listening, who's prior military or active duty or a military spouse, thank you for your service. Because first and foremost, I mean, we wouldn't live in this wonderful country with this freedoms that we enjoy if it wasn't for their service and sacrifice. And that is, yeah, that is what drives me to do the work that I do is is a sense of gratitude. Um, Females in the military have a very different situation. I do think most would agree things are starting to get a little bit better. (laughs) Um, I heard recently that now ponytails are acceptable in some branches, which is revolutionary. Um, So females don't have to have those headaches from those tight buns anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I do a lot of coaching of active duty service members and veterans, officer, enlisted, doesn't matter, um, all branches. And I teach a lot on military installations. And the dynamic is different with a female. I, I think, you know, as a civilian myself, having thought I knew what the military was and then really learning the numbers are not what what we're led to believe. There aren't as many women in the military as, you know, the news might portray. So when you've got a very male-dominated industry or career path, that can make us react and respond differently. The military is also a very systematic, um, predictable, standardized process. Promotions, advancement, um, relationship, all of that is very clearly laid out. Mm -hmm. And then we leave that and come into the civilian sector where all bets are off, right? (laughs) Whatever you want to do. That's really confusing. So for a woman coming out of the military, coming out of a very structured, routine, male-dominated industry into much more free-flowing, much more experiential, Mm -hmm. I I still have those same um, bits of advice, which is start by understanding who you are. What made you raise your hand and commit to something so selfless and noble and important as military service? We know that when somebody leaves active duty, their desire to serve doesn't go away. And I have experienced that is profound for women coming out of the military. They still want to serve. But what we also see in this country, and and again, it it has shifted a little, but not as dramatically, is a lot of women don't self-identify as prior military as if that still um, military service still has the reputation of being a a male industry. Mm -hmm. So I would say, carry yourself, you know, hold your head high, figure out what you want to do next, go with confidence, go with clarity into this next career. And just know that if you still want to serve, there are so many rich and amazing ways to do that, that Mm -hmm. maybe aren't as accessible or easy for your male counterparts as they might be for you because of the combination of who you are and what you've done. I, I totally agree. And some of the, my, the top leaders that I work with are women that are former military and they, they bring discipline and a understanding of how to manage people that you many times don't get otherwise. So I, I totally agree. It's, it's a great background for becoming a leader in a company. Absolutely. Is there I, any, oh, I'm sorry. I just, I just wanted to, you know, as you were saying that, I thought of one other point. You know, one of the things I teach when I teach military transition mm-hmm. um, is that fundamentally between somebody coming out of the military and somebody in the private sector, we have a difference in how we talk about ourselves. 
that gets amplified with women. So a civilian has no trouble telling you about themselves, right? You and I, we use the word I all the time. Mm -hmm. Somebody coming out of a military culture where service before self is such an important value, right? It's not about Sabrina or Lita. It's about those you serve alongside Mm -hmm. because your job is to take accountability, but not recognition. That gets compounded, I think, when you layer onto it the female dynamic, which sometimes is, to put other people first. Mm-hmm. And finding that voice, finding that strength and that purpose for a female coming out of the military, I think has profound implications, but it can be more challenging. So you're giving those women permission yes. to find their voice. I am. <laughs> I am screaming it from the la- the rooftops. Yes, please find your voice and then use it however you want to use it. It's there for a reason. Beautiful. And we're just about done. Is there any last thing you want to tell the audience before we end? You know, I think being women in business right now, it's an interesting time. We're seeing, you know, women ascend into leadership roles politically, economically, socially, and it's wonderful. And my hope is we don't lose what makes us unique and relevant and compelling and interesting in the process. And that's why personal branding, to me, is the way we tap into that. It's not just about feeling good and feeling like the best version of you. It's about knowing how to leverage that, how to promote and market yourself and be intentional about how you show up, what you can offer and what you ultimately want to be remembered for. Wow, that's a really inspiring way to end the show. Thank you so much, Lita, for being here today. Thank you, Sabrina. It's It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And now the segment Action for Traction. Listening to a podcast or reading a book is a good start. But the way you will change and grow yourself is to take a small action every time you have an aha from what you've learned. Here are three possible actions you might consider from this specific episode. One, define your legacy. Write down your desired reputation or desired brand. Two, ask people who you trust to give you an honest answer on how they see you and would describe you. What are some of the words they choose to describe you? Listen to what they say and ask yourself, is this the way I want to be perceived? Three, read the list of management strategies in chapter nine of Control the Narrative and implement one of them. Thank you for joining your host, Sabrina Brahm, on another Women's Leadership Podcast. If you have questions or comments, you can email her at sabrina at sabrinabrahm.com. Since 1989, Sabrina and her team have helped hundreds of women managers, business leaders, and entrepreneurs with valuable trainings, articles, books, and executive coaching. For additional tips, interviews, and free access to Great Leaders Today mini-course, visit www.womensleadershipsuccess.com.